Smith Joyce from Arizona under center. Foles is back. He is firing deep, and it is caught for a touchdown! Welcome to the NFL. He becomes only the seventh quarterback in NFL history to have thrown for seven touchdown passes in a game. And Foles able to get away and throw. Pass is caught! Jeffrey, touchdown! They come right back. It's a complete flicker. Back to Foles. He's going deep down the far side of the field. Hey, would you do me a favor as we do it, friends, if you would just stand to your feet and uh, if you would give a big friend's welcome to Nick Foles. One more time. Thank you, got some Philly fans here. <laughs> Seems like everyone's awake too. That's yeah. good. Last service was a yeah. little iffy. Yeah, yeah. they lose that hour's time. Man, I was I almost told them to just do the video from last night and let me sleep in. I was coming to eleven, so <laughs> but we did it. We made it. So hey, thanks again for Absolutely. being here this weekend. Uh, it's been great, and uh, one of the things I've loved about Nick is I've gotten to know him just a little bit. Uh, is not only his uh, confidence uh, in, in what God has given him and his gifts, uh, but his confidence in God, but the humility that he walks through life with. And today, I think you're going to see that. And I'm excited uh, that you're here, so thanks for sharing your story. Uh, he wrote a book entitled uh, Believe It, and I love his tagline. It's my journey of success, failure, and overcoming the odds. And uh, we got some of those in the, in the bookstore at Awaken Cafe, but you might want to pick up a copy. It, it's awesome. But I love that tagline, my journey of success, failure, and overcoming the odds. And uh, as you've said, the last couple of service, uh, services, you've had kind of the, this roller coaster career, but really God's been with you all the way. So we want to go back to the beginning because uh, many people might not know where you're from, kind of where you grew up. Tell us a little bit about your family and then kind of your high school years. You followed a, a quarterback that a couple people might know in your high school. So just give us a little bit of who Nick Foles was back in the beginning. Yeah, so from the beginning, I'm originally from Austin, Texas. Um, Mom and dad are both my heroes. I love them to death. Grew up in a Christian household. I have two little sisters who are now, uh, now they're grown and they're, they're parents and kids running everywhere. Um, grew up going to church on Sundays and it was a great time for me to, you know, take a nap and not pay any attention <laughs> like some of us here, I'm sure. So, sorry. Hey, watch it. There's a chance. There's, there's a chance. chance. <laughs> My wife admitted last night she was one of them. I know. And yeah. I said, you can't do that in your home church. Like, your pastor's, <laughs> pastor's right here. Right but here. Yeah. He's amazing. Um, <laughs> but I, I say that as, you know, I, I proclaim to be a Christian. I, I, I knew who Jesus is. I knew what he did done. Um, who God was, who he is, but, and I did confirmation, checked all those boxes in high school, and uh, 
but I realized it wasn't like a relationship, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so played at Westlake. There's 10,000 people that come to Westlake home games in the state, like in Austin. And then if you, that's the state of Texas, that's high school football. Um, playoff games can get anywhere from, you know, 15 to 45, 50,000 people in the state of Texas coming to watch high school playoff games. We're getting interviewed after games. We're signing autographs. We're doing all these different things. Um, I, I fortunately was able to play in the state championship. We lost the previous the school won this year, they actually won the state championship, and the last time they won it was 20 years ago or so, no, it was more than that, it was like 24, 1996, they had this quarterback, he wasn't very good, I'll say his name, it's Drew Brees, um, <laughs> I don't know if he made it, but I, I hope he's doing well um, out there, um, yeah. but you know, at Westlake, but my first time to really have that experience, I was a two-sport athlete, basketball, football, yeah. Love basketball. That's my. I, that's probably my favorite sport. Is you thought basketball. that was going to be your sport, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. my brother-in-law and I almost got into a fight last <laughs> night backstage because someone said who's a better basketball player. Because yeah. he played at Stanford. Um, he played both sports, basketball and football, at Stanford, yeah. and played in the NFL for you know five or six years. So he's an amazing athlete. Right. Um, so like it almost got a little testy to where we're not even here today. <laughs> um, but but who's better? <laughs> okay. It's a good battle. <laughs> it's a good battle. Um, but the best one is the oldest brother, Ryan. Yeah. He played at UC Davis. He's the best basketball player in the family. Yeah. So Ryan, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, went to, to Westlake and my junior year, we played in the district championship and we were down by 13 with three minutes to go in the game. And the cheerleader, I remember looking at our cheerleaders and they're all crying, embracing each other because the season's over. And it's like really funny looking back. And then I had family members like leave the game because they wanted to get out before traffic. And we ended up coming back and winning on our last second play. And went to, you know, but I say that that was the first time where I sort of believed this football thing because during that game, as we talked about, is we set several of Drew's previous school records as a team, and yeah. uh, my name was put on it, but I couldn't have done it without my teammates. And that was like the first time where I started like thinking, like maybe there's a chance um, because we were able to do something that you know Drew had done before, and he's obviously done great things. Yeah. So you were getting ready after high school, go to college, play football. Tell us kind of what happened because uh, you were yeah. going one place, and then you ended up uh, in, in Michigan at Michigan State. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So uh, I was I was. I was a three-star athlete, um, so, sort of recruited. I was recruited for basketball and football. Um, my junior year, I decided to commit to Arizona State. I had a lot of family in um, Phoenix area and was familiar with the area. Really liked Dirk Cutter, the head coach, so I decided to commit there. Went on to my senior season, um, we, we, which I talked about where we played in the state championship. Uh, the fourth game of the season, I ended up tearing my labrum three-fourths the way around my shoulder. Um, which I ended up playing 12 games with, by God's grace. I don't know how it's possible. Um, I had a Dr. Andrews, who is a really renowned surgeon. When he saw my shoulder, he's like, you can't throw a football with this arm. I was like, well, I played 12 games with it. So, um, and then you played basketball with it too, didn't you? I, I did play basketball with it. <laughs> yeah. I played in like a game and a half <laughs> after the state championship. And it was when I was doing a behind-the-back pass that my arm slid out and then I went to the sidelines, and they, I, like, anytime I have to do this, if any of y'all done a shoulder and they push down, I, like, can't do it, because when she did, when the lady did this, it slid out again, <laughs> and she's like, there's nothing in your arm, and I, I lost it, had surgery, but 
Say all that to shortly after that, I had to figure out what I was going to do with my college career. And I met with the, so the head coaches at Arizona State, all the coaches were fired. So it was a new coaching regime. So I met with them, decided to decommit, wasn't the people I committed under. Um, and then it was late in the process and there was a couple teams interested, but I decided to go to Michigan State um, because of Coach D'Antonio's, his first season there. And I enjoyed our conversation, um, but I did not know what I was getting myself getting into. For, so you went to the Midwest from Texas, and kind of a lot of things happened, not just football-wise, but there were some things that happened spiritually for yeah. you. So tell us uh, about that. Yeah, so like we talked about, like Matthew talked about, like my life, and this is a lot of our lives. It's, there's good, there's trials, there's all these things. So Michigan State was about to be one, what was the biggest trial at that point. Um, I, I just went to Michigan State, one of the only Texas boy there, so it was a different culture for me. Um, first part of the year wasn't too bad. It was still, you know, great temperatures. Yeah. Um, and then. <laughs> and then, well, you know, shoulders recovering. Um, both my grand grandmothers had passed away in like the first couple months of college, which was really difficult. Um, there's all these things that happen. And just if any of y'all have gone away for college, you know, like there's a homesick thing. That thing's real. Um, and I'm playing college football and I'm doing all these things. And after the first semester, I sat down um, with my dad and you know, said, like, I, I don't enjoy this. I don't have joy. Like, I, 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 I got to leave here. And the best thing my dad ever did was he didn't allow me to leave. He said, no, I'm not going to allow you to do that. You're going to endure the next, uh, the spring semester and go through ball and school. And if you feel the same way, we'll talk about it. But it was in that spring semester where I really got to my lowest of lows. And like I said, if we go back, I grew up in a Christian household, going to church. My mom had set an amazing foundation with the way she lives her life and how she is always in the word of God and always studying, always serving. Um, but I didn't really know what being a Christian was until God brought me down to my knees one night um, in a parking garage, about to go to my place, sitting there in the car, and I just started crying. And I just put my, my hands in, my head in my hands and I, I literally just started praying to God and just said, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know any of this but I know I can't do it alone. I can't hold myself up anymore. I've done it for 18 years, 19 years. I can't do it anymore on my own power. I, I trust you. I don't know why this is happening. It quite frankly sucks, but I love you and I trust you. I give my life to you. And in that moment, that's where my faith journey began, where I gave my life to Christ, where that relationship began. And he took someone that was so broken in me, that was struggling so bad, and at that moment, that's where I was saved. And I went back, I went home in Michigan, and I, uh, my mom had packed a little tiny Bible that she had given to me during the two, uh, in 2003 for confirmation. During this time, it's 2008. And it was really the first time I opened it and started reading the Bible. And if any of y'all start opening the Bible and reading it, it is, it's hard at times. It's very hard. And I was going through that, but I was reading the Psalms and the Proverbs, and, you know, they were just resonating in my, my heart when I was reading what King David was going through and, like, all the battles and the struggle. Like, I didn't necessarily know the contextual information of it all, yeah. but I just saw a man that loved the Lord that was in a really tough situation, and I could resonate with that. And it gave me a sense of peace to allow me to finish my time at Michigan State, even though I was struggling, and ultimately, at the end of it, we sat down with Coach D'Antonio, who uh, wanted me to stay there, and my parents, and I just had to tell him that for me to be the best person I can be, it's got to be more than football. I have to have a healthy balance between being an athlete and being a student and 
all the things that go along with that. Yeah. So I decided to leave Michigan State. So you went back home, and uh, it wasn't like after you left Michigan State that the phone was ringing and people were knocking down your doors, but you had to start trying to figure out where you were going to play football next. What happened then? Yeah, so I went home, and you know the big thing my dad said was, if you decide to do this, you might not play football again. Someone might not take a chance on you. And I said, Dad, that's the chance I have to take because I just I can't do it. I don't have the joy. If I don't have joy and I don't have heart in something, I can't do it because it's, it's not fair to the people I'm around. I'm not giving them my best. Um, so I went home. No one in the state of Texas uh, wanted me to, like, offered me or wanted me to come play. But there was a man named Sonny Dykes at the University of Arizona. He's now the head coach at SMU. And he reached out to my dad. And he just said, hey, I remember recruiting your son when I was at Texas Tech. Um, we don't have a scholarship, so we'd have to walk on. But if he is who he is from watching film, we know he can earn one. So I decided to walk on to the University of Arizona. A lot of people don't know that. And through my first week of uh, training camp, I, uh, Mike Stoops, if any of y'all know Mike Stoops, some of y'all might, he's crazy, but I love him. Um, <laughs> He came up to me and said, we will have a scholarship for you in the spring. And that was the beginning of my Arizona career. So you started, got a scholarship, ready to roll. And uh, as you began that kind of career, something blindsided you as you were kind of walking down the hall in a really good way. Tell us uh, what that was and who that was. Yeah, a lot of y'all probably heard blindsides. Like, oh, we're going to talk about him getting knocked out. <laughs> I was knocked out, sort of. So... I uh, got to the University of Arizona, had heard all these rumors about the beautiful women there. Um, I know we're in church, but there are beautiful women at University of Arizona. Um, so I'm walking up to do my physical, and this um, just gorgeous brunette walks out of the weight room. She was a volleyball player, and I literally like almost trip over the stairs and fall. And I just try to keep my cool, and I had this shaggy blonde hair, and think I'm cool like some like Cali surfer bum from Texas. And... Just keep going. And I looked at her and I was like, wow, that's the most gorgeous girl I've ever seen. And which was now my wife, Tori, but I didn't know it at the time. She was just this amazingly gorgeous girl. And I went and did my physical and my dad called me that day. And he's like, so you all right? Because he was worried. I mean, I had transferred and gone through all these different trials and he was worried about my state of mind, if I was still sane and all these different things <laughs> like parents do. And uh, I said, Dad, I saw the most gorgeous girl I've ever seen. I think I'm going to be all right. U of A is pretty cool. Um, so that was the first time I saw Tori. Tori. And so you uh, began your career. And yeah. uh, as we talked about last night, Tori was here last night. And so um, kind of had to rescue you a little bit because Nick dug him a little hole. But uh, you started kind of your, your friendship with her, but she was dating your roommate. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. So tell us a little bit about that. See, so yeah, this is how I know like everyone's a little awake because when that happened last service, everyone was just like, oh, we're here to listen to this guy, eh? Um, they can relate. Yeah, the, hey, there's some people that can relate. Okay, so not digging a hole. I sort of dug a little one last service too, so it's hard. Um, so our second year at Arizona, um, my roommate David, who we lived together for four years, one of my favorite people in the world, one of my best friends, like a brother, um, we both find Tori attractive, but we don't really know her. So we're like, one of us is going to try to, I guess, what do you say now, spit game or something? Um, <laughs> or maybe that's what we said then. I don't know. And we were sort of fighting over it. And we sort of flipped a coin, sort of didn't. Um, <laughs> that's where you got in he, trouble. Yeah, that's yeah. where I got in trouble, but it's too good. Because I think we might have 
almost flipped a coin. <laughs> but he had one up on me because we both didn't really know her. Um, and he was in math class with her. And we just loved how she handled herself. The way she, you know, she was just walking through the facility, watching her like, um, well, this is now I'm digging a hole, like yeah. work out and all this. So, <laughs> sorry, Tori. Um, Moving on. Anyway, they dated for like a year or so, and I got to know Tori as an amazing friend. And if you've ever been a student athlete or if you've ever been a sorority or fraternity, there's like that brotherhood or sisterhood. It's the same as a student athlete. So we would always hang out with, you know, our group of friends. Football would hang out with volleyball, would hang out with soccer, all these different things. It was our, it was our group. Yeah. So I got to develop this amazing friendship with Tori throughout our time at Arizona. And, but there was never that, uh, I always thought she was gorgeous as y'all know, but there was never that attraction because she had dated my best friend to like date Tori. I had never even thought about it. I just, it wasn't possible. Um, so we go through our time at Arizona and I uh, end up, you know, leaving to train for the NFL draft. Yeah. And Tori's finishing up her last semester as, at business school. And there was a time where um, we would keep in touch like every month, just saying, what's up, how are you doing? And there was a month when I was gonna come back to California to go to a trading card photo shoot for rookie cards. And there was like a, a little red carpet event that you could go to, but I didn't know anyone from California, I'm from Texas. Um, but I, I caught up with Tori recently. I'm like, hey Tori, I don't know if you're there. Uh, I said Tori, I, I say Tori now because we're married and I can do that, but it was Tori. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was like, hey, would you want to catch up, maybe grab some lunch and then go to this event and just catch up. And if there's you know, some friends or whatever, you can come as well. And she said, I'm actually going to visit my parents um, in Wisconsin. Her parents, they used to all come to this church and they moved to Wisconsin 11 years ago. Um, so she went to Wisconsin to visit with them. But at that time, like we started talking and that was sort of where God like took the blinders off my eyes. And what's funny about that is like a month or so previous, I was in Austin and my mom and I were talking and she's like, what, like, who do you, like, who do you think you're going to date or like, what kind of woman are you looking for? And I said, well, the, the one that's on my heart is X, Y, and Z and explained it all. And uh, I was like, but I just don't know. Um, I haven't met her yet. At least I don't think I have. So God will probably present her at the appropriate time. So he did. He did. And <laughs> he took the blinders off for Tori and I, and we realized that there might be something more to it than what we thought. And I was in Philly, so we started talking. And then we started face, well, we didn't have FaceTime. It was Skype. And I had to go to, so at the hotel I stayed at, which is the airport Marriott, so if they cut you in Philly, like you're literally on your flight in 30 minutes. So it's the, awful. <laughs> there was no Wi-Fi at the airport at the time. And I'm really not, I mean, this is 2012, so I'm not, I mean, I guess it's eight years, so it's a little while. But uh, I had to go buy one of those little Verizon Go Packs, which I went through really quickly. And then I ended up flying out to Portland, Oregon, and uh, taking her on a date to see if it was real. And I knew right when she pulled up to the airport at that time, like, and she got out of the car, because we, we thought it might be weird too. We didn't know, we didn't tell anyone about it. Um, I knew at that moment that I was gonna marry her. And she knew as well, she might not admit it, but she did as well. <laughs> and that's how it all started. And it was at the right time. And since then we've, you know, we've run into a lot of couples that are like, you know what, that's how we, you know, I felt, I, I, we don't ever share our story because like, he dated my best friend or she dated. I was like, you know what? God worked it in such a magical way that Tori's the rock of our family and it, our friendship was established on like friendship and being best friends. And then it became, the other attractions came later, yeah. um, which are a beautiful thing in marriage. So yeah. I'm so grateful for her. Yeah. So 
you end up uh, Arizona, you meet Tori, not dating yet, but then you're, you're getting ready for the draft. And uh, just take us through that a little bit uh, yeah. because you got drafted by the Eagles. And yeah. so tell us kind of what happened. Yeah, so the NFL draft process is going ongoing for these young men right now. And it's a crazy process. I was fortunate to play in the Senior Bowl and the Combine, and both are, I'm so grateful to have attended, but so grateful that they're one time because it is brutal. Um, but I go through that process, and a lot of times these heralded quarterbacks are brought on all these different visits. Um, they'll go see all these different teams to see how they are on the board, to see how they are throwing, to see how they are from a character perspective. Um, I wasn't one of those guys. Even though I went to those things, I, teams didn't bring me on these special interviews. But there was one team that sit down, sent down a man named Doug Peterson. He was the quarterback coach at the time um, to run me through a workout at Westlake High School. And I remember like knocking on Doug's window and saying, you want to go throw? And he, he probably had like a burger or something chilling and going, Doug's now the head coach at Philadelphia. Um, but we went through, and after my throwing session, I didn't think I did very well, and I thought that was it. But Philly called back, and um, Andy Reid and Howie Roseman, the GM, Andy Reid, the head coach. I don't know if y'all know who Andy Reid is, but he's a pretty good head coach. <laughs> um, I got to say, go Chiefs. I'm proud of him. He, he, he got his first Super Bowl this year, so I was super proud of him. Um, but I went up and visited them. And Andy asked me two questions that stuck with me. And Andy has a presence about him. It's a, it's a unique presence. Um, it might be the mustache too. But I remember sitting there, and the first thing he asked was, do you have faith in something? And I said, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And he goes, that's good. You're going to need it. And... <laughs> I, I was then worried about the next question, and he goes, do you think you can play in the city of Philadelphia? And I know y'all probably know the, what Philly's known for, just the sweetest people in the world, like Midwest down to earth. Like, <laughs> like you go to games, like they're going to welcome you in the stands and not do anything. Um, and he said, do you think uh, you can play here? I said, yes, sir, I do, absolutely. And he goes, this city's grown, uh, torn grown men to pieces. And just looked at me like straight dead-eyed. I'm not going to lie, in that moment, I doubted myself, and there was some fear that set in when Andy said that. But um, ultimately, the draft process happened, and I thought it was a smokescreen what Philly was doing. I didn't think they were really interested because they had an amazing quarterback named Michael Vick there who I enjoyed playing with. Um, but on, on the second day of the NFL draft, they drafted me with the 88th overall pick, and um, my story in Philadelphia began. Yeah, you began your story, and so <clears throat> you were behind Michael Vick. And uh, as you went into your second year, uh, Michael had had some injuries and some things, and you're fighting for a, a starting quarterback spot. But uh, you and Tori were kind of progressing in your relationship, and uh, some things came up in, in, in her life, uh, health-wise. And I want you to speak about kind of where you two were as a couple and kind of what was going on, but then also her health and, and what you had to do, because there were great things happening in mm -hmm. Philly, because your career was, was really doing good, yet that Tori was suffering. So tell us kind of how you balanced both of those. Yeah, and this is a, a huge part of the story that not many, maybe people know now. Um, it's very well documented in the book, and I've shared it um, on different media platforms. But before the 2013 season, I mean, Tori was, you know, Tori was a student athlete at the University of Arizona. She graduated uh, business school at the University of Arizona, went to work at Nike in Oregon uh, out of college. So she lived in Portland, Oregon, worked at the campus in Beaverton. Um, I was signed with Nike at the time. 
and I would train there. And our relationship was growing to where I was planning uh, to marry her. I was trying to design the ring, which if any guy's ever done that, oh my gosh, that is the hardest thing ever. But um, my sister helped me. My mother-in-law helped me with it, so it worked out well. But uh, I just remember I left for training camp, and shortly after that, um, we were, Tori and I were both blindsided. Her health took a really strong turn for the worse. I mean, she was running 20-plus miles a week in Oregon, extremely active, and there was just one day she got sick, and it just wouldn't go away. She saw all these different doctors, and the doctors would try to prescribe her all these different medicines to mask the symptoms. They even uh, had the audacity to say, um, you know, she was suffering through depression before actually, which depression's a real thing, but like before they actually analyzed to see what was going on, that was just sort of the safeguard. And Tori's like, listen, like I know my body, that's not what I'm going through. Like something's wrong, I need to find out what's wrong. And I know there's people in the audience that probably are dealing with that where you're trying to figure out what's going on so we can relate to that journey. But her aunt was working for a neurologist at the time and um, he graciously saw Tori in he found out that she had postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which the umbrella term is dysautonomia. And it was, we found out she had it. Um, her symptoms were blood pulling in the leg, which means there's not blood in your brain to like keep you functioning. So you become faint, nauseous, tired, like can't even function. So at this point, like she's basically in bed and barely moving. Um, so they found out from sitting to standing 30 beats per minute faster in the heart rate. So imagine that, like that's crazy. Um, if, you, if you're sitting down and you stand, it's probably going to go up three to four, maybe. Um, so this is all happening like the beginning of the 2013 season. Well, the 2013 season for me was a season where Michael Vick was a starter. He got injured. I played in a game, helped us win. There was a little adversity, got a concussion. Tori came out to me when she was really sick um, while I had the concussion. And then after that, that was when the seven-touchdown game happened, and that's where we ended up rallying off like eight or so straight to get to the playoffs and I ended up going to the Pro Bowl and all this was happening but behind the scenes like we were more worried about Tori's health and trying to figure out what was happening and uh, that offseason we ended up going to the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale Arizona and going to see a professional to see what's going on to see what medication she needed to be on and do all these different tests and it was, a, it was a crazy experience. They did a great job, but uh, her mom had the idea of that's where I should propose because I didn't know where. Like, she was so sick. Like, I couldn't even think, like, what to do with the proposal. And so there was a day her family had flown in to surprise her. She didn't know. I was freaking out because, like, like, she was wondering why I was acting so weird. But, like, if any of y'all done that, like, like, I played in NFL games and done this and played in the Pro Bowl, but, like, that was the most nerve-wracking thing ever. And it took a turn for the worse because I was at my uncle's house in Scottsdale, Arizona, and he had a beautiful pool with a nice setting. So like if I got down on one knee, it would be a nice picture and everything. So, but I didn't know how to get her over there because we were going to lunch and it was over there. So it'd be weird. So uh, my uncle Guy had these little dogs, these little dachshunds. And I, I literally like looked at Tori and we're walking out and she's tired, you know, not feeling great. And I'm like, Hey, Tor, uh, Sophie took a huge dump, and we got to go look at it. It is unbelievable. This is real. This is 100% real. We, we put it even in the book. Tori was like, I cannot believe you did put it in the book. I can't believe you said it at church. It's a part of the story. So romantic. Um, but it says a lot about her. She came with me. So 
She's got issues, as do all of us. And I do too. I love you. I'm sorry. Um, Lily, don't listen to that. Uh, so we go over there, and she's like, well, this is stupid. Like, what are we? And I, like, your heart rate, you're boom, boom. Like, all of a sudden, your vision is just like, oh my gosh, like, what's going on? And I remember getting on one knee, my phone fell out, almost went in the pool, like, all this stuff. And I had all these wonderful things I like, wanted to say about Tori and our relationship and what she meant to me. And I think I just mumbled, like, will you marry me? And then, you know, she looked around, cause, and I'm so happy that we planned for her family to be there. Because she looked around to see if her family was there. And they were. And her brothers can't thank God, because if they weren't, it might not have turned out good. And her brothers run out, everyone's freaking out. And then finally she says yes. But that was how we got engaged was in that moment. And then we had a wonderful afternoon that was probably one of the first times that year that Tori did not think about dealing with pots. And then another special part of the story that I'll add was a couple months later, Tori and I were back in Orange County and we were living together. And, but we were struggling with that because we were like, we're both believers in Jesus, but we're living together before we're married. But Tori was undergoing this treatment called IVIG. Um, it's where you do like an immunoglobulin tr uh, drip for like five to six hours and it just blasts the body to where like you can't even function. There's a chance you get something called aseptic meningitis. Um, my buddy, John, who was a pastor in Tucson when I was in college, was visiting, came by to visit and the talk started out like this. We were talking, having a great time and then he's like, hey, I gotta tell you something. You're out of bounds. Like with y'all living together, what you're going through, like, you're out of bounds, like y'all represent Jesus, you proclaim your faith, and like, I was like, as a brother, I, and I was, I'm not gonna lie, at that moment, like I was like boiling with anger, but I didn't say anything. I humbled myself and didn't say anything, I just sat there and I took it and I listened, and he spoke the word into my heart. He was a brother that held me accountable, and then after like five or 10 minutes, like everything calm in my heart softened, and I said, John, you're right, 100% right. Tori and I have had this conviction in our heart, but we don't know what to do. Like, like we're having like these weddings and planning these amazing weddings, which are wonderful, but like, I don't know, like Tori's not gonna be able to get married anytime soon. Like we can't do a wedding. She can't walk down the aisle. And um, he said, you know, you can just go to like the courthouse and just get married and then plan it later. I go, why didn't everyone do that? <laughs> uh, makes it so much easier. But at this time, Tori's doing the treatment, and I, I thought this was like a private man-to-man -man conversation. <laughs> but this is what I found out, like women, y'all are savvy, like super savvy. She had the window open, and she was listening to every single word. <laughs> and, but it ended up being one of my favorite moments of our lives, where I walked in, and I was gonna have to like explain, like, cause you know, women, I mean, every young girl wants to have that wedding, and it's something you dream about, and it's a beautiful thing. And I didn't know how to tell Tori, like, would you get married and then we figure it out down the road? But this is why I love Tori. I walked in and I didn't say anything. She goes, we'll do it. And I'm like, and I looked at the window and I'm like, you dog, I cannot believe you were. But we ended up getting married the fall, I think it was like a Friday, the following Wednesday. And, but that Monday she ended up with aseptic meningitis and was in the ER all day, it was brutal. But she rallied and we ended up getting married, um, went to the courthouse, went to a family, family friend's law office and we did our vows sitting down. Yeah. So that's yeah. how we were, and we haven't done the ceremony yet. We're going, we're about to be married for six years in April. Um, we'll probably figure it out at the 10 year mark and I'll probably just keep pushing it until yeah. it's gone. Go. We don't have to do it. <laughs> don't have to do it. Yeah.
You're good. So we're already married. We're good. We got a kid. We got another one on the way. So we're living life. That's right. That's a great thing. Um, (laughs) Thank you all. So your first couple years uh, in Philly, you started playing well. Things were going good. Andy Reid was fired. Chip Kelly comes in and his coach. Uh, not only are you going through some trials, yeah. uh, you're going to go through some trials that are coming up, just like life, as you said. But one of your favorite scripture verses is uh, 2 Corinthians 12, where it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And uh, as a Christian... You write this, that you believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, Some of the things we can't really explain, don't understand at the time, but adversity is one of those things in your life. And what I've noticed, Nick, as we talked, is some of that adversity comes after some of the greatest things in your life. Absolutely. And and you looked at it, and you're 13 and 14 season. You were 14 and 4. So you had two years where you were 14 and 4 when you came in for Mike Vick. Uh, You went to the playoffs. You won MVP honors in the Pro Bowl. You threw for 6,700 yards, 46 touchdowns over those two years. You had a 27 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio, highest in the NFL. So what that's saying is you were pretty good over those two years. You weren't doing bad. You set this NFL record, and Chip Kelly is about ready to give you a call, and you're working out here in Orange County. And just tell us about that call and what happened next. Yeah, so I, uh, my third year with the Eagles was Chip's second year, and I, I really enjoyed playing for Chip. I really did, and I love playing that offense. Um, you know, I'm not a zone read guy, but I got to run the zone read and get some rush yards in the NFL, which since then I don't have <laughs> don't many. Have any. Um, but uh, I, I, was, I fractured my collarbone right here against the Houston Texans in uh, week eight. Um, we were six and two at the time. We ended up being six and two. Um, so I, I wanted to make it back for playoffs. Unfortunately, the collarbone did not heal quickly enough. So I was going into my fourth year in Philly um, with a lot more wisdom. Uh, gone through the adversity, had come out, it had been training super hard, was in the best shape of my life. My wife and I had just been at a Christian conference that's put on by ex-NFL players, four NFL players. So we were like feeling amazing. Um, we were ready for that next step and continuing the impact the city of Philadelphia. And I, I was at the gym, I just lifted and played basketball and I got a call from Chip. So I stepped out, sat on the leg press machine and was just catching up, like telling him I was doing great. He's asking how I'm doing. Um, we're free agency is about to come up. Or I guess that was the first day of free agency, and I didn't even realize it because um, I wasn't really thinking about it. And he, he, after 30 seconds, he then said, hey, Nick, I just want to thank you for all you've done, um, but we just traded you to the St. Louis Rams. And just thank you for all you've done for Philadelphia, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. And, you know, I hung up, and the thing that stuck with me is I'll, I'll never remember, I'll never forget looking at the uh, – one minute on the phone call. And that hurt because I was like, I'd been there and gone through so much. But that was really my first taste of the NFL and what it's like and how, you know, it's what have you done for me lately sort of thing. And how, and we'll get into it, but the identity of it. Yeah. And we'll hit that in a second. But so you're down, you're pretty, you know, you're struggling because you're like, you, I loved Philly. I ne- never wanted to play for another team. Um, and then five minutes later, Jeff Fisher calls. And he's excited. He can't wait to meet me. Uh, and I'm like, dude, I don't want to fly out there right now. Like, I, I really don't want to meet y'all. Like, I, whoa, hey. <laughs> um, see, it, it gets it. And, uh, but I flew out to St. Louis. Tori and I had to find it. We found a new place to live, moved our family there. Um, 
my year in St. Louis was one of my favorite years of my life, just like my year at Michigan State was, because in the moment, it was not. It was not. But looking back, like, God was allowing me to go through trials and learn to find joy within trials and grow and trust in him and realize it's not about, like, winning these games and doing that. It's about glorifying me. And I didn't solely understand that. There's so many times we proclaim to be Christians, yet we lose our faith when things don't go well. And in that moment, he was breaking me down in every which way to by the end of my time in St. Louis, I, I, for months I battled something and it was fear and I didn't touch a football. And then I realized like I negotiated my release from St. Louis to retire, not to play football. I 100% was done. And what was crazy about it was like I had a sense of peace. Yeah. I was okay. But um, there was things that happened after that where I went on a camping trip, a fly fishing trip. My brother-in-law, Ryan, had an amazing time not thinking about football for the first time in my life. And then I came home from it, and six teams had called interested in me going there. And um, Tori, throughout these months, had always, no matter what I would have decided, she would have been with me. But she kept, like, sort of being there for me. And she knew something deep and dark was going on inside. Like there was this deep struggle of fear that I couldn't see and I was blind to. But as my wife, she saw it and she did not want me to give up and let that fear win. And that was the hardest thing for me. She literally tossed me a football and I hit it to the ground and said, I can't ever touch a football again. And I grew up in Texas. My dad put a football in my hand the first day I was born. Like that was in my blood. And... I just remember like we had this conversation after the trip and we were both crying and I said a prayer like we've all prayed before where it's like, God, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Can you please give me a sign? And there's sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And all he did, what he did in that time was give me a sense of peace. And he said, Nick, what you're doing is living in fear. Fear doesn't come from me. I was paralyzed. And what he said was, just move. Go this way and step away, and I'm going to be with you to walk alongside you as your Savior, or go back and face your fear of this football thing that's overwhelmed you, and I'm going to be with you through it all. And in that moment, I knew what I had to do to grow in my faith as a believer in Christ. And I stepped out. Tori's thinking I'm calling my agent to retire. She's crying because she wanted me to face my fear. And I called Andy Reid, and I said, before all this, Andy had always been there for me and wanted me to play for him in Kansas City, and I had let him know. I told him everything. and said, I, I can't play football anymore, but I love you dearly, and thank you so much for the opportunity you gave me. And he graciously said that he would always be there to cheer me on with whatever I do. So I then call him and say, Coach Reed, if you'll have me, I'll get, I have, there's something in there possibly, and you'll you and your team will probably be the only people to get it out if it is there, but I have to find out, and I'll be 100% honest with you if I do. And uh, they had me. I came back in. Tori's crying, like, what do we do now? Like, because like, you, you stop playing football, like, life changes. Like, you don't, you got to transition. And I said, what are your brothers Evan and Ryan uh, doing? And they're both ex-athletes, better athletes than I am. Um, I didn't say that last night. I just said brother-in-laws, and people were like, you just went through with your brother-in-laws? I'm like... Well, if you saw them, they're like elite athletes. They're pretty <laughs> legit. Um, I actually played with Evan, my brother-in-law, in Philadelphia my rookie year. He played with me, or I played with him, Evan. Um, but we went, and uh, we found a field in Orange County. It's the first time I had thrown in months, and then I reported to training camp. And it was, it was, my year in Kansas City was one of my favorite years of football because it was the first time in my career, in my life, where my heart was capable of going in as a backup. 
because I had always been a starter, and I didn't know how not to be a starter. And that was the first time I really had experienced that, but it was one of the most amazing years of my football career, and my identity was no longer in this sport I grew up in in the state of Texas and gone on to play college and gone on to the NFL because I always struggled with that identity with football. I always felt different. The reason I decided to come back and play football again was my identity, everything I did was gonna represent Jesus Christ and not be politically correct in what I do and be bold in my faith. And that's where the game has changed so much to where that's how I am to this day and that's how I'll be to the day I die. But it was those moments of trial that allowed me to do it. You said, uh, you said in your book, uh, and I have this quote, the true measure of success is to make sure everything I do, the way I act, the way I treat others, the way I deal with disappointment and setbacks reflects and glorifies God. And so you go in, and that's your mindset going into Kansas City. Um, things couldn't be worked out after that year. And so now all of a sudden, Philly's back in the game, and they're calling you, and they're asking you to come back and kind of be the backup for their franchise quarterback. Carson Wentz, what was your mindset as you went in? I know part of it was that, but you were going in just to kind of now be back in Philly who said goodbye to you, now they're wanting you again. Yeah, so we, uh, we honestly, full disclosure, and it's in the book, because you can hold me accountable, we were honest. Um, we wanted to stay in Kansas City. We, we, Tori was pregnant, we loved the team, we loved the city, uh, we were just very happy we were in a good place, but God had different plans. It didn't work out, and Philly came and knocking. And it was tough because, you know, I had been traded away. I had been their quarterback. We had done these great things. And I was like, man, that's crazy. They, they would want me to go back there. But um, what had happened was when Chip was in his third year, he became sort of the GM and had pushed the GM, Howie, who's now the GM now, into the janitorial closet for the year. <laughs> and now Howie was back as a GM and wanted me to come back there. And Tori and I prayed about and thought about it. And we realized that with her being pregnant in that situation in our life, like we wanted to be in a community that we knew and we loved. And there's a lot of teammates that were still there that we had these relationships with. So um, ultimately we chose Philadelphia and we, uh, we loved it. We, we went there, I was going there to help a young quarterback who was trying to, you know, going in his second year in Philadelphia, help him grow. Cause I had already been the starting quarterback there. Just be there to help him any way possible to run scout team, to help the culture of the team. Um, and that was my heart going into the yeah. Philadelphia time. And God kind of gave you a new opportunity. And unfortunately, Carson yeah. <clears throat> got hurt, and it was against the Rams yeah. uh, in the midst of the season. And then you came in, and uh, tell us kind of where it went from there as, as we kind of march into the Super Bowl. Yeah, so, um, you know, Carson's having an amazing season. He's an MVP caliber year. Um, our team and culture is the best I've been around. The coaching staff that's in place at the time is the best I've been on, fantastic, everyone in their place. Like it was just the way, like I remember going home to Tori and being like, I have never learned so much and never been so confident in these game plans for the talent we have, everything. Well then we played against the Rams and uh, Carson got injured um, trying to you know, run it, roll right and run in the end zone. And I knew he was injured right away, just the way he was moving in. Um, you never wanna see that. I'm not the quarterback that's like, I hope you get injured, I hope I play. I'm the quarterback that's like, I hope when we're down playing football and I have kids that we can still, we're still friends to where like when I introduce my kids to you, you genuinely like me. Yeah. Because the quarterback room is a messed up room most yeah. of the time, and yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, but our room there was really healthy, um, and that, that's how we approach it. But took over the end of the regular season. Um, we ended up beating the Rams, and then we played the New York Giants. We ended up beating the Giants on the road. 
and then uh, played the Oakland Raiders on Christmas Day and the Dallas Cowboys. I played a little bit, but we rested the starters. And the last, last of the year was a little bit of a struggle. If any of y'all know that year, Philadelphia fans, like there was some, a lot of doubt that crept in with my ability to play, our ability as a team. I was going to let the team down, all these different struggles. And um, I had to hear about it even with, you know, the, the, as a man, the one moment if you have kids is – you go to the bathroom and you take like an extra five minutes just to breathe sometimes. <laughs> like you just sit there. I, I get knocked all the time either by Lily trying to see what's going on or my wife saying like, you got to come out here. Frozen's on for the hundredth time. Like we got to figure out something. Um, and how we had put on, our GM had even put posters in the, in the bathroom next to the toilets of how much everyone was doubting us just to remind us we were the underdogs. So thank you, Howie. Um, and I just messed up my mic. Um, but so the beautiful thing about the playoffs were we had a bye week and this is where I talked about coaching staff culture. They, Frank Reich, who was the OC is now the head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. One of my favorite people in the world. He's a great mentor to me. Um, he put together 150 play cut up of me playing and he figured out that the way we were running our offense was Carson's version, but we needed to figure out my version, which was what we call like a read and react offense, which is stuff that I love and I have a lot of history with and a lot of time on task with to where I don't have to think, I just play and basically go unconscious and let the ball go where it may. I can't tell you where it's going to go. I tell the guys, you better be open. I don't know where the ball's going. It's going to be there though. Um, so we did that going into the playoffs and I started getting a rhythm against Atlanta. I started feeling the game, the energy, like sort of when you see the matrix and yeah. you know, he's starting to feel everything. <laughs> yeah. I got started feeling it. Started coming Minnesota, in started out, like I even, there was a miss that I had that was barely missed. I'm like, man, I feel it, like something's happening. Yeah. And we ended up winning that game 38 to seven, yeah. and then we get ready for the, the Super Bowl. And we're going to the Super Bowl, and we have a bye week going to the Super Bowl, and uh, you know, we're getting ready to go against the Patriots, so. Yeah, so man, you had to dream about being in the Super Bowl as a kid, growing up, and now all of a sudden, you're playing Tom Brady and the Patriots. Um, just kind of tell us what it was like preparing for the Super Bowl and, and marching in, and then we're going to talk about kind of a play that you kind of came up with here. But let's yeah. talk about that. Um, you know, as, as we're preparing for the Super Bowl, um, you, you have a week before that you stay home. We did a normal prep week, got most of our game plan in, and then you, we went to Minnesota. And, you know, the prep week for the Super Bowl is crazy because, like, you have all these distractions. You have media day. It's like a circus. You have to do media every single day while you're practicing, facing the cold weather, weather in Minnesota all these different things, all while you're playing against the Patriots, who if there's Patriots fan here, I'm sorry, but like we had to take extreme measures of shredding everything, putting them in bags and burning them so they didn't cheat. Um, I mean, we even did a walkthrough before the Super Bowl on Saturday that we didn't run one play in the game plan. We ran it with like 13 guys on the field just to mess them up, just yeah. in case there was filming going on. <laughs> and then we checked the ball. The ball Make sure it's uh, the yeah, right I, pressure. I'm stopping now. I'm stopping. <laughs> um, but that's real stuff. Like, that's real. Um, but there's a lot of wonderful guys that have played for the Patriots, and yeah. I love them dearly. Um, but, yeah, so we're getting ready to play the game. And I remember the biggest thing people want to know is what were you thinking during the game? Like, what was going on in your mind while you were playing? Because there was this eerie calmness. And I, and a lot, and I just say there was nothing going on in my mind. <laughs> like, though, I remember doing the national anthem, sitting there, and looking around, taking in the stadium, 
looking at the rafters, looking across at Tom and Brady and Belichick and just being like, wow, this is unreal. And then that was the last time I thought of them and just went and played. And my prayer leading up to the Super Bowl, because every morning I wake up, I, I have coffee and I open my Bible and I do devotionals on version. I have another software called Logos. I do all these devotionals just to get my heart ready for the day. And at this time, I was journaling a ton because of the amount of pressure and stress that I was trying to counteract from the flesh. And I have a journal with all that information in, and I've constantly done that since that's happened through my career. It's a beautiful thing. Never thought I'd journal. Um, but I prayed that I play with boldness and without fear, because I know fear doesn't come from God. And I just pray that no matter what happened throughout the course of the game, that I may glorify him with my actions and how I speak and how I handle myself, whether we win or lose. It wasn't praying for win. Even though I wanted to win, I wasn't praying for that, because I knew ultimately he had the plan already in place. And I just remember playing that game and just, I've never been so calm. I've never been so comfortable. A lot, all, a lot of it had to do with my faith. A lot of it had to do with the love I had for my teammates and my coaches, the trust I had. But yeah. it was one of the most peaceful games I've ever played. And, um, and you had a pretty good game. And, it went uh, all right. Yeah, it went all right for you. And, and you made a call uh, with a special play. And so you ran yep. over to the sidelines and, and called the Philly special. And yep. so we're going to take a look at that play uh, awesome. real quick. Yeah. You want Philly, Philly? Yeah, let's do it. Philly special. Ready? Here we go, here we go. Tonight! Easy, easy! Kill, kill! Lane, lane! So uh, what gave you the confidence to go over and call that play? Well, I mean, what's amazing, and this is the first time I've really thought about it, but like when you look at that picture right there of me hugging Doug, that was the same guy that came out in 2012 and was the only guy that worked me out privately in Westlake. And then we're sitting there in the Super Bowl many years later hugging each other, and he's the head coach and I'm playing. Like, yeah. life's crazy. But going back to that play, uh, I just remember – you know, we had that in our game plan for Atlanta and for Minnesota. We were going to call it against Minnesota, but decided not to because it just wasn't the right time. Uh, we, we were up by a couple of scores, and we didn't need to waste it. Um, and then going into that game, it was just a moment where he had had a play call before that that, you know, it was probably the one play he's ever called. Well, there's been a couple more, so sorry, Doug. But, <laughs> that, but we have a great relationship where I can change, and he's cool, as long as it works. If it doesn't, I'm in trouble. But uh, that I didn't like, so we called a timeout. And I went over there, and it was just in my gut. It was like fourth and one, games on the line. Like it, it, it wasn't something I was thinking about all game, but like it just came to me. Like this is the time to run the Philly special because no one's going to think this is going to happen. Because, I mean, most of the broadcasters, like listening back, were like, they're going to kick a field goal. They're going to play it safe. They're going to take – that wasn't how we roll in Philly. Like we go for it on fourth down all the time, and that's, that's the mindset. So ran over there mispronounced the Philly special. It's not that hard, but I messed it up. So I was definitely unconscious. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then we ran the Philly special with, uh, and it was crazy about the Philly special is the guy who um, threw the ball is Trey Burton. He was a free agent um, acquisition back in like 2014 from the University of Florida. Yeah. Uh, the running back was a free agent acquisition from Philadelphia. He went to University of Wisconsin. His name's Corey Clement. And then there was me, and y'all have heard too much about me already. Those were the three guys that were part of the Philly special. Um, 
And it ended up, at that time, we didn't know what it would mean to the city or to the NFL. It was simply a play that we knew would work if we executed it against the Patriots and the Super Bowl to score six points to help us go into halftime to prepare to score more points. That yeah. was simply, that was it simply, and yeah. ended up being much more than that. The rest is history, and uh, it's kind of a legend, but you won the Super Bowl 41-33, first in franchise history for the Eagles. You were 28 of 43. You threw for three touchdowns. You received one, and uh, you were the MVP. And uh, one of the great pictures that's been around is with you and your daughter at the time, Lily, uh, on the field uh, when you were there. Uh, and you look pretty cool. What were you doing right there? Yeah, like I look pretty swagged out, pointing, <laughs> just won the Super Bowl, won the MVP, filming myself. No, um, not that cool. So what's really going on in this picture, and we shared it with the other services, Lily's like seven months old, and my buddy who was um, quality control at the time, he's now the pass game coordinator in Philly, he's Press Taylor. His daughter, Teal, who's a little bit older than uh, Lily, is probably like 30 yards away with their wife, Brooklyn, and I'm like, Lily, there's Teal, you see Teal? So it ended up being like this really, really cool picture, but I was just being simply like a, like a dorky dad. Um, and uh, Lily got a sponsorship from Beats out of this thing, ironically enough, and got in trouble, <laughs> reprimanded by the NFL because the NFL's Bose, but it was all worth it. it was so all worth she's it. safe, nothing bad happened. Bose hooked her up. So we're, I mean, uh, Beats, Beats hooked her up. She signed to Beats, that's cool. Yeah, she has these really cool um, Beats headphones, so she's, she's a lot cooler than me. She's set, nicely done. Well, one thing that struck me, uh, I got a picture of you hoisting the trophy, and, and you're kind of in the pinnacle moment. You're holding that up. Uh, but you just talk about uh, you didn't have to be Superman. And um, part of that, I know, is your faith, and part of that was now your identities in Christ. Uh, but one of your other your favorite scriptures is Philippians 4, as you wrote. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you're going to experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And then his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as we live in Christ Jesus. So you win the Super Bowl, you're kind of at the pinnacle, uh, but then realization's setting in as you're getting prepared for your time with Philadelphia. No one in the 52-year history of the NFL, no quarterbacks ever won the Super Bowl and been the MVP and started the next year on the bench. And as you came back, Carson was coming back from his injury and all those things were happening. Just help us understand kind of how you handled going from Super Bowl to kind of walking back and being on the scout team and, and helping them prepare for the games, because that couldn't have been easy, yet you're just in a different place. Just kind of talk to us as we wrap things up today. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the trials that I had faced, the low moments where I just continued to love the Lord and trust the Lord, to find joy within those moments like we see in the book of James, um, that allowed me in those moments to be able to handle them. I mean, you saw the picture of me hoisting the trophy. The beautiful thing about that message was in college, I had seen a video of um, a quarterback who had won his third Super Bowl at the time say, like, there's got to be more than this. And that always stuck with me as, like, you know, as a, as a younger kid, you're like, man, you win the Super Bowl. Like, life's complete. I don't need to do anything else. Um, but as you all heard about the St. Louis time and where my identity went, like, it was 100% in Jesus Christ and what he had done for all of us on the cross and living that out. So in that moment... Um, before all that happened, you know, I'm on the stage about to hoist a trophy, and at that moment, I realized I didn't even need the trophy because I already had Jesus Christ. And that was one of the most special moments in my life. And I say that to say, shortly after that, a lot of people, you win the Super Bowl MVP, like you asked, like, you're probably going to go start somewhere. Yeah. I was under contract with Philly. I wasn't going to demand publicly anything. I was going to try to figure out behind closed doors. Uh, that's how I like doing things. I like being respectful. Um, and... 
we decided that you know we'll they want me back they weren't going to trade me so we'll renegotiate my deal if i come back so we renegotiated and ultimately i uh came back to philadelphia as a backup quarterback after winning the super bowl and i had to walk into a facility every day or i got to walk into a facility every day where it was like super bowl mvp trophy or pictures and the super bowl mvp or 52 stuff and i had to humble myself because i was the, i would go run then my job was to run scout team quarterback but I was going to do that to the best of my ability and give our defense the best look possible to help us win on Sunday, even if I never played. And that's where I knew God had continued to work my heart. And it, it was hard at times, like pride seeps in and you have those things. But I, really, I mean, it wasn't about me. It was about Jesus Christ and God using me at times. And I mean, he used me again that year. I mean, Carson got hurt again, which was unfortunate. And I remember I almost hyperventilated when I heard I was starting the rest of the year. Like yeah. I couldn't, I was like, I can't do it again. Like I can't, <laughs> but I realized like at that moment I had fear set in. It wasn't about me. It was about Jesus. Yeah. And ultimately I was, more, I was more impressed with our team the year after the Super Bowl and what we endured than the year of the Super Bowl. And I'll conclude with um, this. So we're here and a lot of the stuff we talked about is the trials early on and the years in Philadelphia, which are wonderful. I love the city of Philadelphia. Um, I see some shirts and jerseys, and there was amazing things done. We just watched Super Bowl highlights. But as we said, like life is like this. Everyone goes through their own things. Every person here goes through their own trials and their own battles, even if they're not public knowledge. Um, right now, like in my job, I'm not very thought of right now. I'm right here. Like I'm in Jacksonville. People are like, man, that dude, like why did they take him? All these different things. I don't read the media, but like there's ways that it gets to me. And that's where I am right now. But my identity is in this vocation. Like my wife and I went through, so Michigan State's here, St. Louis is here, and there's trials along the way. I mean, as a vocation, what we're going through in our life, like it's up here. It's the largest one I've gone through at this moment I'm talking to you. I have not, there's a chance I'm traded. Like at this, right we've been checking every service. <laughs> like I could be traded every any moment. I'm about to move my family where I thought I was going to be a franchise quarterback in Jacksonville. You would have been the first to know. Y'all yeah. would be the first to know. <laughs> Maybe even before me. So if I have been traded, please let me know because this watch is on airplane mode. Um, but, I, but, but I say all that, and it, it, like that is, that's life. And my identity isn't in this game. I realized going through all that that, you know, I want to get into vocational ministry someday. I, I, I'm in seminary in the offseason. Like there's things I want to do. And God continues to work on my heart. And what he showed me about football was football is my ministry. Like, all y'all have different jobs. Like, you don't need to. There's times, like, I take off my what would Jesus do bracelet and take off my cross necklace because I need to represent Jesus Christ with how, who I am in, the, in my heart genuinely. And they should know that there's something different and be curious about that, who, people who don't know Christ. And, but it's been through those trials, those ups and downs, and staying in the word, learning the word, at living the word, we have to live. You don't just exercise muscles and then just sit on the couch. Like you gotta go out there and serve and live. But it's been an amazing thing. And like I said, like I, if, I, if I'm blessed to win another Super Bowl, it'll be the same thing. Like I don't need that to be fulfilled. If, my, if, for right now, if right now I could never play the game again, I would be fulfilled and be grateful for that time because I have Jesus Christ in my heart. Yeah, and here is a, just an amazing quote by him. Yeah, give me So here's what he said about himself. So who am I? I'm a football player, but that only begins to describe me. I am a quarterback, but my true identity is found in Christ. I'm able to win big games, but all the glory goes to God. 
I'm a Super Bowl MVP, but my worth doesn't come from trophies or awards. I am weak and prone to failure, but my Savior covers me in his perfection. I am Nick Foles, a follower of Christ who just happens to play football at the moment. Would you thank Nick Foles for who he is and what he does? Thank you all. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. Hey, here's, uh, if you remain standing, we're going to close. And uh, as Nick has talked, it's the most important thing as, as we prepare to walk out these doors is uh, if you don't have a relationship in Jesus Christ, that's the whole reason he is here today. And today we want to give you that opportunity as I close in prayer. Um, there's nothing greater. Uh, men, we know, and ladies, you don't go from Super Bowl to scout team in your own strength. You don't walk in the hallways and see yourself up in big posters and be able to go and humble yourself by yourself. That's why it says the power of God lives in us. And that is something different that the world sees. And if you can't tell, Nick has it. And Jesus lives in him and through him. The Bible says here, it's really clear, it's kind of the ABCs, that for those of you who have never followed God and don't have a relationship in Jesus Christ, it's just to admit that you need a Savior. 2 Corinthians said God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and he doesn't count our sins and our mess-ups and all of our junk against us, but he's committed to us a message of reconciliation. He says, would you admit? And the second thing, would you believe? You have to believe that there is this one Jesus that died for your sin and for my sin and for the sin of the world. And then it says, just commit. That you would commit yourself to him. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you're going to be saved. He said, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you're saved. So today, maybe it's just your time in this moment as I close that you would admit that you need a Savior, that you would believe that there is this one Jesus, and you would commit your life to him as Nick did, and doesn't just say it, he lives it. And so we're grateful for him, but today we want to pray for you. So if you'd bow your heads. God, thank you um, for the amazing story of your love and grace that has been shown to us through a life uh, that has been given over to you. Thank you, God, that his identity is in in you. And it's not just words, uh, but we've seen it, we've heard it. He's been bold, he's been fearless. And so we thank you for that. And I just pray for everybody that's here today and for those that just right now in their own heart just need to admit, God, um, I, I need a savior. And I believe right now in this moment, it was Jesus Christ. And so I ask him to come into my heart and forgive my sin. Today, I believe, God, that you sent your son for me. If you just say that to him, God, today, I believe. Then it says that when we do that, that he comes in. And then right now, in your, in your own way, just say, God, I commit to you. And I'm going to begin to walk with you. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to give every day over to you that my identity would be in you and not what I do, not how much money I make, not what's going on around me, but my identity is only found in you. And God, I thank you that um, you change people's lives and you are transforming hearts. And I thank you for this day. And I thank you for a man that's willing to get up and to share. And thank you for the time he's given us. So God, as we leave this place, may you be honored. And and may we be reminded over and over again this week of some of the things that Nick said so our life would be different and we would go into this world to be your ambassadors. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.